uh, joining me is uh, Brian Hayes, who's a consultant I've gotten to know quite well. And I uh, want this to be very objective and something that's meaningful for those who listen. Um, so, uh, you know, by way of credentialing Brian, I, I mean, he's going to, I'm going to ask him about himself, but I've really come to respect his judgment and thoughts. And uh, quite frankly, we share a lot of, a lot of the same um, thoughts and opinions and philosophies on business. And that's what I really enjoy talking about. And that's what this is. It's, you know, the business business of aesthetic medicine. He just launched his own podcast. And um, I listened to the first episode this week and I thought it was terrific. Um, you, 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 you really kind of got us hanging there for, you know, the next episode. And I think that there's so much that doctors could learn to uh, help them, you know, run a, run a better business. And so, Brian's a consultant, so just let us, tell us a little bit about your your background because you've been in and out of, in and out of some of the best practices. You see what doctors struggle with. You see their pain points. You know, you're you've got a, enough gray hair that you've seen recessions. Um, you've seen the mistakes that doctors have made with technology and injectors, um, trying to scale their business, uh, trying to hire someone to do marketing. So I'm really interested to be able to pick your brain. So tell us a little bit about your, your background, Brian, and, um, you know, where, where your careers come from and, and where you are now. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here as one of the few industry people that you have on. And uh, thanks so much also for all your kind words and support. So, um, yeah, my brief background, I... It's always funny when I actually say it out loud, but I've been in the business 25 years now and started started in sales, started on the device side in the laser business and pretty much spent the bulk of my career there. And over the years, worked my way up through sales into management and sales and marketing, and then ultimately senior leadership positions at uh some of the biggest players in the space. I've also worked with some startups. So I've seen both ends of the spectrum from the corporate side. And as you mentioned along the way, I, I've worked with countless practices in aesthetics and I've seen the evolution of the business overall. And I've seen the changes within the practices themselves. And quite frankly, over time, what I started to see when I first got into the business is the big challenges to the practices were pretty much clinical. Should I add devices to my practice? How do I position my practice? What types of patients do I want to treat, et cetera? And then over the years, I've seen business become an increasingly uh, important part of the success of the practice and then, quite frankly, an increasingly stressful part of the practice. And so on the corporate side, I really felt like we could do more. We should do more to support our customers who are predominantly medical professionals trying to build a business and maybe share some of our expertise. But it never really was the right fit on the corporate side. It wasn't, I couldn't really deliver what I saw as the most help uh, in a really meaningful way. So when I had the opportunity to leave the corporate side and make some decisions, I decided to start my own business, start my own consulting company and really focused in that area. How could I help practices in a space that's been so good to me over the years be better at business? And, you know, <clears throat> that's why I think you and I kind of connected because when I go to our meetings and I hear people talking, there's a lot of push on either sales for people to buy products, devices, or to sell marketing. And you've heard me say this before. <clears throat> I can give a talk in one room on how to build a high performance team. And the talk in the next room is how to build your social media. And there's standing room only in the social media, how to build, and then, and, and, you know, how to build a business is, uh, uh, and I find, I find a lot of, uh, running and growing a business, not necessarily intuitive for doctors. Um, you agree? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I, I get that 
coming from a medical background with exclusively clinical training, you come out exceptionally well prepared to treat patients. Um, but there, you don't get a lot of training and guidance and support on how to build a small business. And so in your role, if you start your own practice and your role as small business owner, separate from your clinical role, uh, you start it without a lot of guidance or support. Now, I don't think that's unique, exclusively unique to doctors. I mean, you have say software engineers that leave Microsoft or Apple and start their own businesses, they have the same challenges. Um, but I think within the, our industry, to your point, the core messages tend to reinforce um, what I think you and I both agree are not necessarily the basics or the fundamentals of business, meaning that they tend to emphasize marketing first, attract patients first, and that's really the heart of what you need to grow your business. You got to have a good message. You got to have a presence on social media, which to some degree is true, but it's not the be all end all of the practice and, and building a, any business exclusively around marketing as a whole is, is going to be difficult. Yeah. And so, you know, <clears throat> we talk about building a foundation and we talk about transformational things versus transactional things, right? One of the things I thought was really, I mean, I think you made a really good point in the podcast. You talked about this week about how do you define success, right? Right. Because we see so many of our colleagues who have success. And I learned this from my, my Mormon colleagues, you know, no success at work justifies failure at home. And um, you know, I talked to a lot of doctors who are just struggling to find balance and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, but haven't, again, they're, 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 you know, batting at shiny objects, chasing marketing. What, you know, what are the biggest struggles you see with, uh, small practices and, you know, people starting out and what kind of advice would you give them? Um, you know, I'm starting out, you know, you and I've read the E-Myth, but when I, I give, whenever I give that book to a young, I don't care whether they're in, in medicine or whether they're opening up a donut shop after they've had their share of struggles, they read that book and they're like, that book is dead right on. What do you see, you know, what kind of advice would you give for someone just starting out? <clears throat> yeah, I think, <clears throat> excuse me. I think I see it exactly as you do. I think the advice I give to anyone starting a business, particularly in aesthetics, is if you're starting out is to really focus on building that strong foundation. And I think to your point, when you read books like The E-Myth or you and I are both big fans of Jim Collins, I think we first bonded over our uh, our mutual admiration for him. Um, you know, if you, the one of the first books I always recommend to anyone in aesthetics that asks for business advice is uh, good to great. Yeah, what, you, what, you, what you get from those books is very different than what you see on social media in terms of, or YouTube or et cetera, on basic advice for any small business, right? Again, if you started your search for any type of small business advice, what's the first thing you're gonna see? marketing, uh, positioning, uh, very tactical stuff. Why do you think that is? And, and why do you think that physicians respond so well to that? I, I, this is always, this is, I always scratch my head over this. Why, why do physicians respond to that? So, you know, before they, they dig a hole and build a foot a, a footings and foundation. Uh, I think my, my opinion is I see a lot of parallels between business advice and like fitness advice. So if I Googled, I want to lose 20 pounds, uh, I'm probably going to get some information in there that there's some good solid information in there somewhere about how to have a solid workout plan, how to eat right, et cetera. That, that's a strong, healthy approach. But that information is probably buried underneath the take this pill, uh, rub this cream on yourself, uh, how you lose weight while you sleep, et cetera. And I think the overwhelming messages. And oh, by the way, I got something to sell you too. Yeah. I think all of those overwhelming messages are 
quick, easy, simple, five, five easy steps, etc. And I think back to the business conversation, you know, if you read, if you gave someone the e-myth or good to great to start, I think what they'd start to see is, well, this seems like it's going to take a while. It isn't quick. It isn't easy. It's, it's, it's not complex. It's relatively straightforward, for example, to say, focus on being a better leader, et cetera, but it's not easy to do. And building a great team is a lot more complex than launching a social media campaign. There probably are 10 quick, simple approaches to building your social media presence. Um, people managing teams, leading people, that's, that's not so simple. It's also sometimes not fun. No, and that's part of it. Um, it can be fun when you win, <laughs> yeah. but it, you know, but but it's sometimes there are challenges, as you know, because of the uncomfortable uncomfortable conversations and that sort of thing. So, so for a young guy or woman <clears throat> starting out, I got a I got a team of two or three people, and I'm and I'm doing my thing. To, what what advice would you give them? If someone wants to really make a difference, grow their practice. What would be like the single, like, again, I know you quote Jim Collins, but where, where would you start? Well, I think my advice is always to look at the big picture and start to define it. It, it goes to what I talked about in the success podcast, but I, it sounds pretty basic, but I really spend time talking with the practice about what what does success look like? What's your ultimate goal? Where would you like to be? I mean, beyond the, I have to get busy. I got to get patients in the door. I have to start to build my reputation among patients and start to establish my credentials, pay bills, cover costs. But ultimately, where do you want to be? If we wave the magic wand and poof, you could be there. What does that look like? And I think the reason I say that is I think that a lot of uh, a lot of surgeons start their practice with kind of a vague idea of success of where they want to go and they start working on it and they get real busy. And to your point of fun, they wake up one day and they find the, the focus for the last few years has all been bigger, busier, busier, and they end up achieving that goal and they're super busy but they don't like the practice very much and they're surrounded by the wrong people and they feel stressed out and it takes a ton of their time. And it, you know, they, and this is something that I hear all the time from doctors who tell me, you know, we've had great success. Our numbers are great. We've grown the practice. I'm proud of all that, but I liked it better when we were smaller. And I think that reflects what got missed in the early days that we started out building something that was probably some other, maybe uh, some other person's idea of success. So I wanna be like Dr. Williams. I want a 20,000 square foot facility. I want you know a team of people working for me without really thinking about, okay, is this where I wanna go? How do I wanna practice medicine? What types of patients do I wanna work with? And I think if I say it over simplistically, most practices start with the idea of how can I get busier? And then with the idea that once I get busy, then I'll start to focus on getting better. It's like the ready That's market exactly backwards. It's like the ready market and the name. Yeah. I know you and I are both uh, fans of Vern Harnish. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I've read Rockefeller Habits probably two or three times and scaling up a couple of times. And the there's there's a little epiphany I had when I read scaling up, I don't know, the first time, I think. And that is that only about 4% of people or businesses ever become gazelles ever get over that multi million dollar. I don't know what the threshold is 5 million or something. And medical practice, let's face it, do you agree with me? Business is business. I don't care if it's a medical practice. I don't care if you're selling it's the heart of it. Yes. Stuff. Uh, I can't tell you how many times segments of our business, whether it's our reju Rejuva Center or Saratoga Hair, say, well, we're different. It's all the same stuff. And I got friends of mine in my peer group that sell boats and RV. It's all the same stuff. But 
the the glass ceiling is are the fundamentals because the reason so few people ever get are able to scale up are probably not because they're coming up short on marketing. It's because they're coming up short on leadership and how to build a team and how to leverage and scale. Would you agree? Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, I think it said the there's a great saying that the fundamentals aren't those things that are easiest. It's the things that are most important. And I think that sometimes it's only once a business gets a little more mature before you start to have that epiphany and realize, oh, wait a minute, maybe I haven't been focusing on the things that were most important. I agree with you that I think at the heart of it, business is business. And to that point, um, I think if you, you know, relatively speaking to the fundamentals, again, it's a lot easier to put your time and effort and energy into marketing and positioning, et cetera. And there's, you need that. You need to have marketing plays a role in growing a business. There's no question. But it's not going to do the hard work for you. It's not going to build that foundation for you. And so you could get busier. And I, I find with practices a lot where I'd step back and I'd say to illustrate your point of the core of business is the same. I heard throughout my corporate career some version from CEOs and leaders, some version of the saying, you know, revenue solves everything. That just if we get the numbers up, all our problems will go away. Whatever we're struggling with, people, issues, that's going to go away. We just get the numbers up. And what I found is it's exactly the opposite. The more you grow, the more these challenges start to become a problem. And I think even like building a house, if you get the foundation wrong, you can keep adding stories and keep expanding the house. But the weight of it, the pressure of it is eventually going to crack and fall in uh, because of the lack of the foundation. And I think to that point, I, I've met, this was an epiphany for me. One of the very first clients I ever worked with in my consulting business, I met with her. We were supposed to meet around 5 p.m. for our meeting. Uh, I sat in the lobby or receptionary. I think by the time we actually met, it was around 8.30 at night. And she was stressed and she had a pile of work and she was very apologetic. And it's just, you know, this is what I deal with every day and this is what's going on. And quite frankly, I was going into the meeting with the idea that we were going to talk about strategy and positioning and not marketing per se, but positioning to a degree and somewhat marketing that she wanted to grow her business. But when we got there, she had really created a business that she was trapped in. It was busy. It, it, she didn't uh, how, often, how often do you see that? And because right. I, I need to go, you speak at a lot of meetings. And so mm -hmm. you know, how often do you see that? Or, and how do you deal with it? I mean, you, you, I mean, I pro you're probably a little more particular about who you work with now because you've learned, um, you know, if someone's not coachable, but how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that now? Well, again, yeah, I do see it quite frequently. And again, I think my vision of the, or my perception of the challenges, people try to busy themselves out of their challenges. So they have troubles with their team. They have, you know, troubles keeping patients engaged who, you know, will share um, their experience with others after they've gotten their treatments, et cetera. So I, I see it pretty frequently. And in terms of how I handle it, essentially we have this conversation, which is I try to talk to them about changing their perspective about where the real challenges are. Their mindset. Yes. I'm sorry. Their mindset. Yeah. We, you know, it sounds, it all, you know, I would tell you quite frankly, I get a lot of pushback from potential clients of, oh, we're going to start with mindset. I need help with my business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not mindset. But my point here is that, if you, if you don't change your mindset, if you don't start thinking about your business more along the lines of all the advice we're talking about from Vern Harnish to, to the E-Myth, et cetera, if you don't change your perspective in terms of, okay, what are the priorities of the business and how do I build that? And what am I trying to build? Then 
in my mind, you're, you're not going to break out of the challenges that you have. And it also tends to put more and more stress on the leader. So if you struggle, for example, with building teams, usually what I see in a lot of practices is the doctor compensating for that. So you got to work longer. You got to check people's homework. You got to stay later. You got to tell people what I have to check on everything. I have to come out. I have when I come out of surgery, everybody's waiting to talk to me and ask me questions. I have to give everybody direction. So you create this whole environment that only demands more and more of your time and energy. And if you get busier and you spend more time with patients in surgery or in treatment rooms, you have less time for your staff, which then creates more problems. So you can see how the wheel just sort of turns deep faster and faster. Sure. So, you know, I, I remember in, in um, Jim Collins book, he talks about one day he was in you know, lecturing and one of his, uh, so he was a Stanford professor and one of his students said, Dr. Uh, Dr. Collins, you know, this all sounds great, but I, I don't necessarily want to have this big, big business, you know, and, and, and so like, give me, give me some basics. Like what, you know, and he basically said, look, if, if you do this correctly, it doesn't matter whether you have three people or 3000 people, right. your life will be easier and you'll be more effective and you won't be washing the toilets. And, you know, getting back to like, okay, if you want to create a business, that's scalable and saleable. Cause ultimately the only reason to have something is to be able to equitize it at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's also kind of daunting. I mean, the problem with what I see with a lot of my colleagues is they've created, um, something that is, uh, they're indispensable and they're so relevant that without them, they don't have a business because you can't sell a job, right? You can sell a business. You can't sell a job. <clears throat> So getting back to it, what would your advice be? Someone's been out a couple of years. They're starting to get some patient flow. What advice would you give to the small doctor who really wants to become a better business person? Um, I'm curious what, what you would say to them because it's most of the um, discussion narrative at the meetings is how do I get busier? How do I grow my marketing? What, 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 you know, we talked about a foundation. How do you do that? So to me, the, the foundation of the business, because business is a team sport, if we're not talking about, you know, as you point out, if it's not a job, if it's, I go to the hospital, show up for surgery, do my surgery, go home and the team at the hospital takes care of everything. You know, that's not the business you're in, in your practice doesn't matter how big it is to your point, the size is irrelevant. It's a team sport. And so to me, the core cornerstone of the, of the foundation is leadership. And that from, from my perspective is how do you, how do you work with people? How do you direct people and build a team? And you've talked about it multiple times on your podcast. I know of the concept of servant leadership, of really starting to understand you as the leader are part of the team. You have a role on that team to help the team perform and succeed. And I think, you know, we start there a lot. I hear all the time from doctors, Brian, I need help with the team. Those people see them over there. I need help with them. And I try to explain, hey, you know, the team is all of you. You're part of the team. And we have to start with the idea that the leader has to see themselves as part of the team. And what we know from sports, business, any organization, no teams succeed without great leaders. You and don't win champion. You don't. You don't win championships either with just one good player. No, no. And and so to that point, right? I think doctors see it as a perspective. When you say a statement like that, they think, "Oh, somebody on my team who's the superstar one player." And I back to mindset, I think too often they see themselves as the one superstar player. And I don't want to take away from the critical role that you play in the practice clinically. But from a business perspective, to your point, if you have visions of growing the business, if you have visions, ultimately, especially of selling the business, then you have to detach from the business, 
your role there clinically and your role as a leader. As a leader, you got to build a strong team that's excited to be there, that's capable of delivering, that, that, that contributes to the success of the organization, isn't just a team of helpers. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, listen, I'm, you and I are both leadership geeks, so we get that it's not intuitive. Um, it's why I ask every applicant that I have for fellowship and tell me about the sports you've played and, you know, what impact that's, you know, made on you. I mean, uh, because unless you have worked in a team environment and see the wins together as a team. And I think that's one of the challenges we have, you know, I really think it's kind of somewhat um, ingrained in what we go through with our training. We learn to succeed, to study by ourselves, to win. You're sewing someone up in an emergency room. You don't have help. So you learn to be very individual, but it's, it doesn't help you when you get into trying to run a business. Um, So if you were to ask, if you were to give someone like, you know, some advice, like, like a start, starting a, a smaller practice, what would that be? Like, where do you start? Like, how do you, I want to build, someone says, you know, Brian, I want to, I want to have, you know, 50 employees and I want to have something I can sell. And I know I'm, this may be a pipe dream and it's maybe 15, 20 years from now. And I want to, I want to love my job. Like, where do I start? Yeah. So I, Again, I think I start with developing, I would encourage them to develop as a leader first. That's the first step. And what I mean by that is not just, you know, the, the let's say the emotional side of becoming a leader. I mean, it's practical leadership skills. If you can, if you're starting your practice now and there's three people on the team and you have visions ultimately getting to a point where you have 20, 30 people on the team and the practice has high value, et cetera. The same skills that it takes to build a team of two are applicable if it's a team of 200. Don't disagree. Leadership's leadership. And so I think developing those core skills now are, they're transferable. They're always going to grow with you. You're always going to grow as a leader. Learn that. You have to learn that. So I, I, so here's something that I, I did. Um, you, you know, as a, an experiment, and I think I did a really good job eventually when I became the president of our academy. Of, I mean, I, I don't want to get into that, but I was, we moved into hunt country and, uh, which is horses. And I, by default, I kind of got, you know, got involved with the hunt club. And next thing you know, I'm a few years later, um, president of the old Chatham Hunt Club. And I use that as a, you know, it's a non, you know, it's a non-for-profit. Uh, there's not big stakes there, but I, I read Robert's rules. I read all of this stuff by Jim Collins and I used um, non-for-profit volunteer organizations to try out my leadership skills. I think part of leadership is not wanting it that bad. So, you know, I, I always, uh, you know, when I was called by the chair of the committee and this is, and I've done this a number of times with different organizations, he says to me, he goes, look, he goes, one thing I really like about you is you don't seem like you really want this job. (laughs) But when I, when I, um, when I was elected president and, um, there was all kinds of infighting in the hunt club. And, um, I, I thought to myself, well, I don't know how to lead, so I'm going to continue to read all this stuff and learn and be. And I remember uh, this woman who was a president, former first former president for many years. She said to me, "Dr. Williams, I don't know how you're going to do this. I spend 20 or 30 hours a week on the old Chatham Hunt Club." And I said, "Rima, it's very simple. I don't have 20 or 30 hours a week. We're going to figure out how to do this at less time." And what I really did was. Um, I learned how to become a, a, a better leader by doing some of these things. Um, because quite frankly, I was not a great leader in the first 10 or 15 years of my practice. Susan was with me back then. Um, and, you know, you know, Susan, but I remember her pulling me aside in the back hallway one day and going, Dr. Williams, we have to figure something out. You can't keep working like this. Um, 
you need a partner. I mean, it's like, right. When, when you have a weak leadership, the answer is always hiring more bodies. Right. And so, but that was my real epiphany, but I think that's, I think that's great advice and understanding that leadership's a process. Well, I think you brought up a couple really critical points there. First to your second point, as you say, leadership is a process. It's an ongoing, it's a practice right? There's no finish line. And I think, you know, what I think gets missed is there's not a list of leadership techniques or tactics. Leadership's an ongoing thing. I think the fundamentals of leadership are pretty easy to communicate. They're hard, hard to execute. Really hard to execute. So I'll tell you why they're hard to execute. I think is they take time Mm. and intestinal fortitude, time to slow down and have the difficult conversations. Yeah. And a lot of doctors, the last thing they want to do at the end of the day is to do that. So one strategy I've had is I put time aside for running the business and time aside for running in the business. So let's say you got, you got a, a young practitioner and I know, I know some of the people that you work with, what would be your advice? Like, okay, I want you to go get some leadership training. I mean, how, and, Brian, give me some like, like one, two, three, four, like this is what I think you should do in the next couple of years. So specific to leadership or the practice? I mean, let's face it. We, we agree that there's fundamentals, there's leadership, leadership, the process. And I'm going to go down that road, but you know, I want to, I want to build a team. I want to, I want to start, I want to grow a business. I don't just want to have a practice in, 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 myself on social media because there let's face it there are some people like shoot the lights out on social media right but how am i going to build a business so the once we talk about the leadership and the and the quick thing that i share with leadership is that you know to the point of mindset you illustrated it again in your uh your story about the hunk club right that the bet as much as we talk about servant leadership and giving to others, one of the primary beneficiaries of great leadership is you. It cuts down on your time. You get way more done in less time. Yep. It, it will be a force multiplier for everything you want to do by becoming a better leader. And I, I've seen it transform lives. I saw that it. Is, that, is, that is such a pearl that people don't understand. I mean, look at Ed Bastian, who's running Delta. He's got 80,000 employees. If you can make them all 10% more effective with less of your time, who wins? You do. Exactly. And to his point, right, can you imagine, I mean, look, again, it's not just doctors, but you see small business leaders struggle with a team of five people, eight people, 10 people. He has 80,000 employees. 80,000. He cannot do it the same way we're doing it, right? He can't manage 80,000 people. He can't just follow the traditional management tactics with 80,000 people. He, when would he sleep? There'd be, he'd have no quality of life and no time. Mm-hmm. And so he has to be more effective and that's where leadership comes in. And so I think the, the core message I try to get across is this is hard. It's a lot of work. It's probably a lifetime commitment but you will reap the bit, the benefits. You will be the primary beneficiary of this. And then to the core structure beyond leadership, that's an ongoing study. In terms of building the business itself, again, I emphasize focusing on the fundamentals. What do I think of the fundamentals? So starts with people. So who's your team? Who do you want on your team? What type of people do you want? And I think, look, if, if, you know, I'd love to get your opinion, but I think for most business leaders, if you ask them, where are your biggest headaches or where are the challenges day in, day out? I would bet you nine times out of 10, they're people challenges. Would you agree? Well, it's, it's absolutely positively it. Um, Yeah. It's, uh, it's always people. You talk to doctors and colleagues of mine, you know, I, I hate my people and I hate my, I hate my patients. Well, there's something very wrong with that because, um, you know, and I always take offense to it at meetings. People are like, oh, come on, Williams, you know, you always uh, bragging about your team and this and that. I mean, what do you live in, Mary- Mayberry? I'm like, you know, those people, listen, look at Google. Okay, look at Apple. Okay, those people are out there 
you know, and, and, and the choke point of every business is at the top. Yeah. And I think to the point, that's why I think this is some, for me, it's in order, right? Because I can't go get people first and then become a better leader. The better leader I am, the better people I'm going to get. Great people want to work in great environments. They want to work with great people. And, you know, there, there's so much data from the books we've shared, um, the authors we've talked about, to extensive research. Gallup publishes research data every year. They do a, a massive study of the state of the American workforce. And over and over and over again, they talk about, the, to, your, to your point of the bottleneck being at the top, the biggest challenge that kills productivity, that, that drives turnover, et cetera, is people quitting on their boss. And so I use that line today, by the way, you know, you're, you've always, you've said it before. People don't quit their job. They quit their boss. Right. Right. And I said that. And one of our, um, you know, one of our nurses who's spectacular, she said, Dr. Williams, you are so dead right on. I work for this dermatology practice. I love my job. I love the patients, but I quit my boss. And so to what you just described, right, what we, you and I hear it at meetings, you can't hire these days. It's so much harder. The millennials don't want to work. These people don't want to work, et cetera. Uh, I don't think, I think there's new challenges, but I think it's always been hard to find great people. It's, it's in the name. There are great people. By definition, there are less of them, right? And so you have to work harder to find them. And part of the way you attract them is you create a great environment where they want to be part of it. And to your description of the nurse you work with, she left a bad environment. She thrives in your environment. This is something that great people have choices. If I'm good at my job and I'm a good person, hard worker, dedicated, passionate, have integrity, I've got choices. I don't have to work at a crappy job. I can go wherever I want. It's the anybody else that doesn't have choice. So mm-hmm. if I'm going to attract those people, I need to create an environment for them. And I need to be clear on what my people are. I need to be clear on what are the expectations? What type of people do I want? If we're high speed, high pace, long hours, I got to hire people who are durable and expect, not just will tolerate that, but thrive under those conditions. I mean, honestly, I'm hearing this having years of experience and feel like I've had you know degrees of success. But when I hear you, because I've done this and we have systems and policies in place and we work on our culture, but I'm, I'm trying to listen to you through the eyes of a 40 year old or 38 year old. It's almost daunting, right? Yeah, it can seem daunting. And uh, this is the big challenge, I would say. When And I think we see it in Vern Harnish's book. I think you see it in, look, if you read um, Good to Great, I think... My opinion is a lot of people read it and take away. It can't be that simple. I mean, this is pretty basic stuff. It's not super complex. You know, it's not rocket science. So why don't more people do it? Because it's hard to execute. But I think the challenge. No, it's hard. It, it's why didn't people, why didn't all the other airlines do what Southwest was doing? It was pretty simple. We take care of our people and they take care of our customers. And, you know, wheels up concept. We don't make money in the wheel, unless the wheels up and the other airlines could not do it in 2008. They struggled and almost uh, many of them got bailed out, bankrupt. Well, and to that point, right, there's it, it's one of my favorite. It's on YouTube, but one of my favorite videos of Herb Kelleher, former chairman and founder of uh, co-founder of Southwest, when he talked about that, he shared all he he was at a conference and he shared this is our formula. This is what we do. This is how we hire people. And he was asked in the interview, well, do you, are you worried about sharing that information? Your competitors might be here. And he said, no, I don't fear it at all. Cause I know they won't do it. Yeah. It's hard. Cause you it- know, Alaskan airlines a few years ago was like, num- they came number one, or I think they were number two or whatever. And the CEO said, we did, we, all we did is take a play out of Southwest playbook and, and executed. So, you know, your point about, you know, execution. So let's transition to talking about the person you run into that's got a successful practice and is trying to scale up. What are, what are the biggest challenges that you see in those practices? Um, 
And what advice would you give Dr. Smith? He's got 14 people. He feels stressed. He feels overwhelmed. He's got a revenue stream that he's working with or she. Um, I don't get to my kids' games. Um, I have had this degree of success, and, and now I'm not sure I like my life. I need your help. Yeah, quite frankly, it's a, it's a great question. What what I, I don't mean to chuckle, but what's interesting to me about it is, quite frankly, it's the same answer as somebody starting out. The difference or the challenge, let's say, for a more mature practice, let's say, you know, a, a surgeon who's, you know, getting close, you know, late 40s, 50, been doing it a few years, has that practice, wants to grow it, but is struggling to grow it. I think what you start to find is you can't outgrow the weakness of your foundation. Meaning if you have a team of 10 people, you want to grow your business, you need to get to 15. You struggle to hire those next five people. You have a lot of turnover. You get to 12, two people quit. You got to go backwards. And this is where they struggle to scale. For example, Brian, I'd love to scale. I can't find good people. Um, you know, we, we have good people, but you know, we're going backwards and redoing things where I'm trying to find good patients, but we have all these transactional patients. And to a degree, the message is the same, that the thing, in my opinion, that holds a lot of these practices back is that they never committed the time to build that strong foundation. And maybe it's a little harder now, but I don't think it's impossible. I think you can do it at any time. But it comes back to, well, really, do you have the people, you know, and again, when you ask basic questions like, okay, if you had to start over, if you started over tomorrow, would you rehire everybody on your team? Oh, no, no way. Okay, well, then we're not, we can't scale past that, right? We got to deal with those challenges before we get to the next step. We, we got to create structures. And Do you have structure? Well, no, we kind of do it as we go. All right, we've, we've got to create those before we can get to the next level. You know, what about your level of leadership? Well, you know, all these things have to be addressed if we're going to get to the next level. And again, even if we didn't, it goes back to the leader. If we don't, the, the, the person who usually fills in the gaps here is you. So you stay later. You come earlier. You check and make sure things are done. You stay after surgery to answer everybody's questions. You send emails at two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you end up scaling yourself. You know, um, I always go back to um, uh, from um, David Packard from Hewlett Packard said, more businesses die of indigestion than starvation, right? That we get as businesses tend to get so focused on growing yeah. But it's the growth. It's trying to digest that growth along the way that really holds practices and businesses back. Well, it's right? interesting because I, you know, I talk to people and they say, well, you know, the small practices, like they say, well, I, I find, you know, it'd be easier for me to solve that problem if I were big. And it's mm -hmm. kind of counterintuitive because, no, the answer is to start and figure it out when you're small. The, yeah. What I experienced with, you know, when you look at a profit loss statement, as we grew and grew and grew, and I was in practice about 10 years, my payroll piece was growing out of proportion because of the dysfunction. I mean, let's face it, the number one expense we have is payroll, right? Mm -hmm. And payroll isn't just someone's salary. It's health insurance. It's, it's FICA. It's, and if you don't manage that expense or lead that expense, um, it will eat you alive. And that's why I think so many businesses never get above the 4% that become gazelles because that's all leadership, right? Uh, and, and at a different way, you know, I, I know you've heard me say this before, but I used to get all jacked up on a piece of equipment that we were buying. I really don't give a damn about the equipment. I get, I, I get fired up when I knew we hire a rock star because they're going to figure it out. And as long as I'm having a conversation and being honest and holding them accountable, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move the ball up the field. Um, but that's not, that's not intuitive. I, don't. I think that back to the, the fitness analogy, I think that's understandable for all of us. We like chasing the shiny new thing. It's understandable to be attracted to that, but we got to keep coming back to our core of what we're trying to build here. And I think to your point, you know, if we go back to people, you and I are talking a lot about leadership and maybe some concepts that seem 
well, this is really big picture conceptual, but I got to run a business here. But I think you brought up an excellent point, right? If we look at the people, the people are the biggest cost of the business. They're also the biggest revenue generator of a business. And so to that point, if I have a team that's highly productive, everybody's motivated, they're pointed in the right direction. I'm not saying we're not going to have bad days and we don't have challenges. We have a good core solid team. Then those expenses usually are kept in control. They, they, it might be costly, but you can keep those in control. If you have a bunch of turnover, if you have people quitting and leaving, there's a, there's a cost beyond just the stress of the team going. Yeah. Right. Turnover is really expensive. Retraining people, having your team cover for others and be short staffed, etc. So there's tangible cost there. And what I see all the time with practices is putting themselves in a situation where they have to overpay for people because they feel like I don't have any other way to motivate them or keep them here. So I'm going to overpay them. And then on the backside, I can't keep patients coming through. So I'm going to be more aggressive with my pricing and my discounting. So you put yourself in a tough financial position on both ends. You drive your costs up and you drive your revenues down by discounting. And then you can really paint yourself into a corner. So this isn't just business philosophy. This is tangible uh, results here. Where, that are, where do I start? I mean, I'm, I'm a... I'm a practice. I've got 15 people. I'm a practice. I got five people buying what you guys are saying, you know, mm -hmm. where do I start? I mean, how do I, you know, I know, I know it's going to be a process, but how do I, where can I go? You know, I, I mean, what can I do? Yeah. Where do I, you know, how do I, how do I something tangible? I mean, because yeah. I, I mean, I knew, I know you and I are working on something because to help, you know, help doctors, but, um, where do you start with people when you work like this? I mean, I, I'm sure if part, the first thing you do is you kind of kick the tires and, you know, are they coachable? Yeah. Again, we start with the, with the doctor themselves of, are you open to becoming a better leader? Are you open to learning? Um, you know, again, if I use the fitness analogy, maybe overuse it, but at the end of the day, we can talk about different techniques, et cetera, but, the, the way to be strong and healthy for a long term is you got to get up, go to the gym, you got to eat right most of the time, right? And it's not that complicated, but you got to be disciplined and consistent. So we start there. Um, but assuming again that time, taking time and being disciplined to work on the business, right? Strategically and not just respond to the revenue and respond to what's yeah. your to yeah. build and, I, and I think to that point to your question of where do you start i i always start we look inside before we go outside so before we start bringing in new patients and grow revenues you got to look at the structure itself and again it always starts for me with people so let's look at the team who do you have now who are your best people what people need to improve how, how do you evaluate your team? What challenges do you have? What do you deal with on a regular basis? Most practices do that or no? Do they do it? I, no. I, you know, again, I think what they find is, well, um, you know, there tends to be some general answers. Well, we have trouble. People come late. People don't. But, you know, that's millennials, for example. Mm -hmm. um, that's not... It's not all millennials. It's let me just, you know, let me just hold out some hope. Have you seen practices where it's really done well? Because yes. I, I hear this from people all the time. I don't buy it. Um, you know, business is different than running a practice. You know, you're in and out. Of, do, do you feel, is there hope? Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I, again, I think, I hope the message through all of this is, it, it's not magic and it's not, you know, to your point of, of the data from Vern Harnish that 4% of the businesses get to elite levels of performance. I, I don't think that's because they're not capable of getting there. I think they're stuck, again, bogged down with all the, the, the standard stuff that holds practices in any business back. 
right? And it's a lack of all these fundamentals and what we see it all the time. So yeah, to the point of hope, one, I see it done very well. I see absolutely there are practices out there that do it very well. Obviously, it's easy to point to your practice as an example, but you know, you don't get to the size you are and the scale of the business that you have by accident. There's, there's an approach to that. And there are other practices out there. And it's not all about size. And I think right. that, that you know, it's not, look, there's a, it, you could build a very successful practice where you were very profitable, had great revenues, worked with a handful of great people, had, were, you were able to be very selective with the patients that you picked. So you're only serving very high quality patients and you'd build a phenomenal business. You'd make a lot of money and you'd have a lot of balance in your life and you'd be super happy. You wouldn't have, you don't have to get bigger to your point earlier. It's not scale that gets you there. It's not, it's not a size or a level of resources that you have to get to before you reach Nirvana, let's say. Yeah. You can build an extraordinarily, and that's part of the part of the rub here. I see practices with a handful, a team of five, and a, a surgeon and a couple providers that do a wonderful business. The team's happy, they're engaged, everybody's motivated, fired up. They have a great balance of quality of life, and it makes great money, and it makes more money, more profit to everybody's pocket then practices three times the size that are just spinning around in circles and struggling and dealing with daily chaos and chasing transactional patients and looking for whatever the next hot, shiny thing is. So, you know, it sounds here, a lot of it comes down to fundamentals. And I, I want to continue with you because there's an awful lot here to go. And people are looking for, they're looking for hope and they're looking mm-hmm. for action items and things that we can they can do themselves. And no one wants to just hear this can be done, but then, so we're going to talk a little bit more about it. So I thank you for taking your time. I, I, you know, I want to get you back to your, you know, to your family and, um, and, you know, Brian is, is worked with me in our practice and is, is terrific. That's one of the reasons I'm having him on. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of the systems we put in place and how he's moved the dial for us, even, you know, with a practice that's as large and as complicated as ours, we still have those share of struggles, struggles but we work very deliberately on them. So uh, thanks again so much, Brian.